0: This message is brought to you by ABC Church in Ammonford, West Wales. For more information, please visit our website at www.abclife.org. Good morning, everybody. How are you all doing? You had a good Easter? This message should come with a little warning in front of you. You know when you download podcasts or listen to uh, other sermons from around the world sometimes, I listen to uh, a couple of really good preachers, sometimes I listen to Willow Creek, and I'm uh, listening quite a bit to Stephen Furtick at the moment, but I I love the way that they put the the bookends that uh, are in in front and behind the podcast when you listen to them. It says, this message will encourage and inspire you. Isn't it great to have a message like that? So this is not that kind of message. In fact, it's a message that's been on my heart for about 18 months. I've done the first part uh, of of the message where we looked at the, uh, the, the story of Lazarus, uh, a friend of Jesus that had died. And what we are trying to do is answer this question, what is God doing when life sucks? Because life sucks sometimes, doesn't it? Yeah, uh, I saw pictures from Tom on Facebook this week trying to uh, get the caravan out of the, uh, out of the mud on the caravan side. Did you see that? A great tip for you, Tom. If you're trying to get the caravan out, take the handbrake off before you try and pull the caravan out. Or Caris came, uh, came home from holiday this week and the car was stuck in the driveway. It wouldn't work. Do you know like the brake pads sometimes kind of bond together and the car wouldn't move? So Caris did what she, she does best. Uh, calls dad, she's outside, so instead of coming back in to get dad, she phones from the car. And she phones me and says, dad, I've got a problem with the car. I says, where are you? I'm outside. You know, that's what millennials do. So this message, I'm going to try and explain uh, in some way what God is doing when life sucks. Remember that when we looked at this message in the first part, and if you've not listened to it on, um, uh, on podcast, please do so, because it dovetails in with this. So some of what I'm going to talk about might not make sense to you uh, this morning, but please listen to that first, and then we'll come in and look at this. Because we'll try and answer this question by looking at an area of peop- um, Jesus' friends and family, because you would think that Jesus would prioritize on fixing problems that related to them, wouldn't you? And we learn from that story that kind of Jesus said that he was Lazarus' friends. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. He would go to Bethany all the time. He was friends with them. And yet, he missed the funeral of his best mate and took nearly four days to actually, over four days, sorry, to get there. You know, fat lot of a friend he was, if that's really, you know, where the relationship was. But the Bible goes on to teach us that the reason that happened, because he had said two days earlier to the disciples and before he left, these things have happened so that God might be glorified. And I could get person after person up here this morning. I could get Anne. I could get Sally. I could get Mark. I could get Alison. I could carry on naming names, you know, of people that would co- could come up here now and would give you a story of when life sucked for them and they went through a really, really tough experience But yet today they can look back at that experience because in the maturity of their faith and looking back with hindsight they have learnt to look at their circumstances with the eyes of God's purpose um, on them instead of doing what immature Christians do which is look um, look at God's purpose with their circumstances. Do you remember me using this uh, illustration that we can respond to God's word in two ways. We can either look at our circumstances and put on God's purpose as we look through it and, and try to work it all out because we are focused on the circumstances, or what we can do is we can take God's glasses and put them on, and God's glasses says that we look at His purposes through the circumstances. And remember, the primary um, thing that I was trying to get across to you, wherever you are today, uh, in that first message, is the waiting is not wasted. So whatever you are going through right now, whatever you are waiting for right now, keep waiting, because the waiting is not wasted. There will be an answer to it one day, I am sure that you will be able to answer. But hey... If you remember last week when, uh, last time we were together, I shared the story. There was two stories that I shared myself personally. There was one about Ruth and myself and buying a a plot of land that we wanted to build our house. And that had a superb ending to it, it. And a great story to share. How the waiting was not wasted. But then I had shared with you another deeply personal story, and that story is my ongoing challenge with my head uh, that I have in that, uh, having suffered from TB some years ago, I really struggle to access stuff in my head. I've got a very, very good memory, and I really struggle with that. And there is no end to that story yet. I don't know if it's going to be something I'm going to have to carry through my life, just like Paul the Apostle did, or just like Moses did. Moses had a stutter. Paul the Apostle had a thorn in the flesh. Is this something that I need to cope with because God's grace is sufficient for me, I don't know. But I know the waiting is not wasted. But there are some things that happen to us in life, and this is the one I want to look at today, where there is no happy ending. And that's why this isn't a message that isn't going to maybe encourage or inspire, because some stories haven't got happy endings in them some stories that we read in the Bible and we're going to look at a member of Jesus's family here we're going to look at cousin John John the Baptist was a cousin of Jesus now you would think if he's going to come to the help and assistance of one person he's going to come to the help and assistance of cousin John wouldn't you because hey if I'm your cousin here today wouldn't you want the same from me wouldn't you want me to come in and help you? Because if you can't count on your friends and your family, who can you count on? Amen? But yet, something incredible happens in, in the story that we're going to share with. So let's turn to the scripture that we've been using as the foundation of our text. It's to be found in Proverbs chapter 19, verse 21. And this is what we are, are trying to get our heads around. Uh, in this text together and we'll read it together it says many are the plans in a man's heart but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails many are the plans in a man's heart but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails let's pray Father God as we turn to your word right now and we look at this story of your cousin John the Baptist we look at his life and We look at his death and we see the way in which he had died and we look at the circumstance around it. Lord, will you help us to see your purpose in it so that we can apply to our lives in the same way because many many are the plans that are in our hearts. But Lord, it's your purpose that will prevail. So open our eyes, open our hearts to be able to hear your word today, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. In Mark chapter 6, you can read uh, the story of John the Baptist. There's several accounts that's actually given in the scriptures together. And those of you who know your Bibles well will know that Mark was the gospel that was written first, and then Matthew and Luke, and then finally John. So Mark gives an account here of what happened in the story of John the Baptist. But before we dive in and have a look at Mark chapter 6, together, let me just tell you a little bit about John first of all. If you recall, a couple of weeks ago, I told you that John kind of reminds me like of Ian Morgan a little bit. And the reason I'm saying that is that John was kind of uh, quite an eccentric type, get-in-your-face type person, uh, and he did some weird and wonderful things. Um, we know that he wore camel's clothes, as you do that he uh, didn't drink wine and that he ate locusts and wild honey, all kinds of credible stuff that he would just do for some reason because of the calling that God had put on his life. But the other thing that he did was two particular things. He went around because God had called him to prepare a way for Jesus that was to come, the Messiah. And one of the things he had been called to do was to preach and to baptize, to preach repentance and to preach baptism. And what he did as part of the way he went around doing that was he would pretty much get in other people's faces at the time and tell them if they were living their lives wrong that they needed to sort it out. And it's that backdrop that gets him beheaded in the end. If you read the story, you will learn that there was some weird stuff going on in, in the, uh, the kings that were ruling at that time. The uh, Herod Antipas, that was uh, the, the king that we're going to read in the story uh, right now, was the ruler of Judea. And we learn how there's some kind of weird stuff. He's not been happy with the wife that he's got, so he's gone off and got to grab his brother's wife. So it's like me. Uh, being married to the gorgeous Ruth that I am. And it's like my brother Mike being the ruler of the king and he's not happy with Sharon anymore. And so he thinks to himself, I'm going to divorce Sharon and I'm going to take Philip's wife Ruth uh, to be my wife. Good news all round for everyone, I think. Um, so, let's jump <laughs> <laughs> so let's jump into the story here and uh, see what happens in Mark chapter 6. Verse 16, but when Herod heard this, he said, John, the man I beheaded, has been raised from the dead. And he's talking about the things that Jesus had done. And it goes on here in Mark. Some people think he's been beheaded twice. He hasn't. He's just saying the story here. He says, for Herod himself, verse 17, had given orders to have John arrested. And he had him bound and put in prison. He did this because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. Oh, what a coincidence. Whom he had married. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Like instead of minding his own business, he gets in his face with this ministry of repentance that he's gone. And can I just say something? You know, if you save your brother from falling, says James, you cover for yourself a multitude of sins. Don't be afraid to speak to people who you call your friends and family. If you think they're living a life that doesn't honor God, I I encourage you to challenge them in God's word to do so. Do it in a nice, kind way. But please, let's be people that challenge one another on our behaviours if we say that we love Jesus. Verse 19, so Herodias, what a great name. I hope she looked better than she sounded. So Herodias nursed a grudge against John and wanted to kill him. But she was not able to because Herod feared John and protected him, knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. When Herod Herod heard John, he was greatly uh, puzzled, yet he liked to listen to him. Finally, the opportune time came. On his birthday, Herod gave a banquet for his high uh, high officials and military commanders. I don't know what I've eaten today. And the leading men of Galilee. When When the daughter of Herodias came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his dinner guests. So I don't know what kind of dance the, the, kind of the spiritual part of me likes to think this is a ballerina-type dance that was going on, something that was quite nice. I have a feeling it was something more, I don't know, do they do twerking or something in the, back in those days? Uh, there was maybe some stuff that was going on there that was weird. But all I can tell you is that it had a lot to drink. There was a lot of stuff going on in the room there. Uh, emotions and feelings were high. So much so that the king said to the girl, And I tell you, this is a dangerous thing to say to a young girl, isn't it? Ask me for anything you want, and I'll give it to you. And he promised her with an oath, whatever you ask, I will give you up to half of my kingdom. Wow. And this is where you see a bitter mother, isn't it? Incredible. She went out and asked her mother, what shall I ask for? She could have had half the kingdom be set up for life. But such is the bitterness that Herodias has she says to her daughter the head of John the Baptist she answered at once the girl hurried into the king with a request I want you to give me right now the head of John the Baptist on a platter the king was greatly distressed but because of his oaths and his dinner guests he did not want to refuse her so he immediately sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head the man went beheaded John in the prison and brought back his head on a platter he presented to the girl, and she gave it to her mother. <sighs> what a messed up passage of scripture. What an incredible thing to happen. Because I don't know about you, you know, if uh, you were maybe in a church here in, uh, in the southern states of America that was preaching, they name it and claim it, the blab it and grab it type gospel. What we would be reading in the scripture there was... You know, when the executioner went out to behead them, what happened is a a whole host of angels appeared with cherubim and seraphim and declared from heaven, Hosanna, we have come to save John. And there was a great earthquake and it rumbled and out came John the Baptist as the hero of it all. God had provided, God had come and saved them and the story would be there for us to all learn how good God is to us all the time. Because all the time, God is good, isn't it? But it's not that kind of story at all. It's the story where John the Baptist is beheaded. His cousin. How on earth can that be? What on earth was Jesus doing? Where was God in all of this? Because I tell you what, life sucked for John pretty quick at that time, didn't it? And for his family and everyone around them, they're wondering, what on earth is going on? What we learned when we were together last time was this phrase, the waiting is not wasted. What I want you to know this morning, and if you're writing down or taking notes, please take this down. When God is silent, it does not mean that God is absent when God is silent it does not mean that God is absent whatever you are going through right now you need to know that when God is silent it doesn't mean that God is absent so how do we respond How do we internalize this passage of scripture? How do we 2,000 years apply this to our lives? And how can we come to some conclusions about it? What do we do? Because John's faith was really strong, wasn't it? John realized that there was a plan. God, he had just, you know, prayed about it all. He's in prison. He's a strong, mature Christian. He knows what's going on and he knows God's in control. He knows that many are the plans in a man's heart, but God's purpose will prevail. That's what he thinks, isn't it? Absolutely not. Turn me to Matthew chapter 11. And we've got the second account that Matthew gives here that we're going to look at about this same situation that happened. Matthew chapter 11, and we're going to read together from verse 2. So just so we're clear here, John has been in prison. We don't know how long, but he's been in prison for some period of time. We reason we know that is because in john chapter 11 we read here uh, after jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of galilee so he leaves john in prison doesn't come to like rescue him his cousin he just leaves him there and off he goes to teach and preach When John heard in prison what Christ was doing, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who was to come or should we expect someone else? You see, what I think happens in this passage of scripture, I'll read that again. Are you the one who was to come, says John, or should we expect someone else? What I think is happening is John is in prison He's just there, beginning to question, why am I here? Just like we do. When God is silent, it doesn't mean he's absent, but we begin to question God's purpose. We begin to ask him, what's the meaning of this? Whatever you are going through right now, you are probably doing the same thing. And more than that, what's winding John up is to find out that Jesus is going all the way around Galilee doing good to everybody else. And clearly they come to visit him in prison there. If you read uh, verse 2, when John heard in prison. He didn't hear it because he got an iPad and looked on the internet and read it. He is hearing because clearly people came to visit him. Or people came and told him what Jesus is doing. Clearly. Clearly. And all he hears is that Jesus is healing, casting out. Even worse than that, Jesus starts performing all of his miracles and turns the water into wine. John is in prison and Jesus is busy doing party tricks. That's what's going on. And so John, I think here, this is just me, I think he begins to doubt. Because why on earth would he have said are you the one who was to come or should we expect someone else? Because this is the same John who saw Jesus afar off and says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the same John that says, there comes one after me whose shoes I am not not worthy to untie. There comes one after me who will baptize you with fire. It's that same John that's writing this. And I think what's happened is because God is silent in his situation, I think he's beginning to question. And so he says, look, is he really the Messiah? Is he really going to sort this out and come to my rescue? And what's the answer? No. No. So how on earth do we apply this story to our lives right now? in 2016 well quite simply we need to go back to Proverbs many are the plans in a man's heart but it's God's purpose that will prevail, amen you see we've got a way that we think God should sort things out, when he's silent and we think he's absent what we do is come up with our own fixes to the situation But what we've got to do is just put our hand in his and trust him. So this story is, let's stand back from it if we can. Stand back from the emotion. Stand back from how we feel. And let's look at this scripture right now, 2,000 years on. What was John's purpose? What was John's purpose? John's purpose was to be the one that would come and prepare the way of the lord did he fulfill it he did and the reality of life is do you know what once we have fulfilled our purpose here on earth we have no reason to be here anymore god will take us home And as tragic as it is when we look at this story and we are thinking to ourselves, why didn't he come to his rescue? It's because God had finished with the purpose that he had for John. He had come, he had prepared the way, and he had let it all happen out in front of him in terms of God's purpose and God's plan. And here it is. Now it's tough to get our heads around, I know. But that's the only conclusion we can come up with. When we look at the scripture, isn't it? You see, many are the plans in a man's heart, and we can say that, but it's another thing for us to believe it. What are the plans that are in your heart? What's going to happen? Because if, as we work things out through life, things change, and things, you know, I never, if you'd have told me when I was 18 years of age that I would have been a pastor of a church here in Armonford, do you know what I would have done? I'd have run a mile but God has engineered situations I remember Pastor Avion used to talk very emotionally God I miss you bro Pastor used to talk so emotionally about the way that he felt that God had brought Ruth and I together for the sole purpose that this church should be established, such was Avion's understanding of Proverbs 19:21, that although we can have plans, although Phil had plans for this, that, and the other, God works in His way, and that's what Romans 8:28 means when we say the verse, isn't it? Put it up on screen for me, I'd die if we can. For we know that all things work together for good to them that love God and accord, according to his purpose I'm pretty sure Sally at the age that you are retired right now I'm just going to say something that's deeply personal to you okay so please you know uh, I've, I think we can talk like this uh, between each other you did not expect to be a widow in Ammonford in this church at the age that you are now and yet I'm pretty sure that you know it's God's plan for you to be here Would be, would that be fair because many are the plans that are in Sally's heart it's God's purpose that will prevail and she's our plus group leader and she teaches us and she inspires us every week and brings so many things into our lives to encourage us because I believe Sally is to be with us at this time So, let's come to the scripture and let's apply it to our lives now and say, what are the two things I want you to understand? And this is the bit that's not encouraging or or inspiring in any way. So, if you're writing and taking notes this morning, can you write this down? You don't have to understand the plan to trust God. You don't have to understand the plan to trust God do you i was traveling back in the car uh from the airport on uh, on friday and Karis asked a, a very philosophical question in the car she said dad if you had the opportunity of knowing when you were going to die and how you were going to die would you like to know guess what my answer was <laughs> absolutely not so hands up those of you who'd like to know the time and the hour and the method Come on, hands up. Oh, well done, Joe. You're a brave man. But imagine, Joe, if I told you it's quarter past 12 tomorrow in a car accident. God forbid. But how would you live your life up until then? So in some ways, God is so kind by not letting us know the plan, isn't he? That we've just got to run with it. Because his purpose, for we know that all things work together for good to them that love God and are called God according to his purpose so first of all we don't have to understand the plan to be able to trust God and that's where immature Christians fall down in the first place you see as they want to be God himself I am Alpha and the Omega I am the beginning the end I am so vast, I am so great says God, I know everything but he spares us from certain things because of the pain it would bring us but yet we still want to know, don't we? <laughs> you don't have to understand the plan to be able to trust God. But the second one, and this one is really, really tough to swallow. And this is the one that I spent some soul searching over myself in recent years. It's this. You don't have to like the plan to be, trusting, to be putting your trust in God either you don't have to like the plan to be able to trust God. That's a big thing to say, isn't it? Isn't it? Do you know on whose authority I say it? I say it on the authority of Jesus Christ himself. Mark was playing that video this morning and uh, when I'd seen the email come through that he was playing the video, I'm just thinking, God, you are just so amazing. Jesus knew what he was facing we saw a harrowing video didn't we of the suffering of Christ that Mark played for us uh, there this morning we're seeing how he was whipped we're seeing how he was scourged we're seeing how he put a crown of thorns on him we see how uh, he had uh, nails put in his hands and in his feet and how the spear was thrust in his side all of that hours and hours of suffering that he went through But we can read the story in the Garden of Gethsemane. Where they've had their last supper together, the disciples. And they leave and they go to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray together and to watch together. And that's the night that uh, that Judas comes and betrays him in the Garden of Gethsemane. But we read some verses that are to be found in that scripture. And the verses are this. That Jesus on his knees before god says if it be possible let this cup pass from me nevertheless not my will but your will be done what jesus is saying is echoing proverbs 19:21 Many are the plans that were in Jesus' heart. But it's God's purpose, the Father's purpose, that will prevail. Jesus is echoing the statement that I just made to you, which is, you don't even have to like the plan to be able to trust God. Jesus did not like the plan. He did not like the plan one bit. In fact, the Bible tells us that he was so stressed that he sweat drops of blood. If you read kind of biology books, that's what happens when you get so stressed, you will sweat blood. The plan was that bad that when Jesus was focused on it, not liking the plan, he still chose to put his trust in God. And the bit that I that just always gets me about the story of the crucifixion of Jesus on, on Good Friday, is this, you know, and I always, I've done it for years, take the time to read those scriptures of the, on Good Friday on the crucifixion of Jesus. And he's in the middle of all of this turmoil is Jesus. He is being sacrificed. He's laid out his life and in the, the middle of God's purpose, in the middle of all that, he goes, my God." My God, why? Why have you forsaken me? But when God is silent, He's not absent. And that might be your prayer today. You're saying, God, where are you in what I am going through right now? God, you have no idea. I look around and I see what you're doing in the lives of everybody else. And I see what's going on. Where are you in my situation? I've been praying for my husband. I've been praying for my daughter. I've been praying for a sickness. I've been praying for that promotion. I've been praying for this, that, and the other. God, where is your plan? And where is your purpose for me? Why, why, why? I want to tell you this. I can't answer you Why? maybe in this lifetime you'll get your why maybe as we look back as we're doing today through history we can look back at our lives and we can see god's purpose in it then but for now can we all commit to the prayer that jesus did and that prayer is not my will but thy will be done in the middle of the storm in the middle of the circumstance in the middle of being maybe even in like jail and we feel imprisoned virtually like John the Baptist, that we could say, Lord, many are the plants that are in my heart, but I'm turning to you and I'm laying them over to you right now and I'm saying, oh God, I know that all things work together for good to people like me who love God and are called according to his purpose. So I know you've got a purpose in this. I'm just leaving it with you. And we pray the prayer that Jesus taught us, which is to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is.